Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Pleasure to talk to all of you out there listening. We got some college and pro football talk today. First up, my guy Ryan Souls to come on and preview the NFL season. We do this every year, break down every division, the pecking order, go through every team in football, make our picks for the playoffs, the MVP defensive player of the year, and the Super Bowl matchup and eventual champ. That's with Ryan Souls and then Kent Brown, talking college football he was in he was at the Pitt West Virginia game he was at the Ohio State Notre Dame game a little college football road trip breaks down his experiences there we recap all the action from week one we'll get some betting lines for week two bets we like and then talk a little wrestling because there's the CM Punk thing happening in AEW we have to break down but it's Kent Brown and it's Ryan Souls it's the Money Mitch effect and it starts right now All right, now on the money, Mitch Effect to talk the NFL season, which is finally here, 2022 edition, our annual tradition here, talking about the preseason and getting into our predictions. Ryan Souls joins the program now. Ryan, thanks for coming back on. It's been a lot of years we've been doing this. Uh, very, very open one this year, too. So I'm excited to have you back on and talk some pro football. Yeah, man, I'm happy to be on. We've been doing this for a while. I mean, really, in some situation or some way, been doing this since college. So, yeah, happy to be doing it, bro. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time of year. There's a lot of movement, as much as we've seen, especially at the quarterback position, uh, some head coaching moves, a lot of talent. Uh, let's get into it now. I'll, for the first-time listeners or the new listeners, we're going to try to go by each division, give an outlook on what we see, the pecking order, and then make our playoff predictions uh, starting at the very top of the list, the AFC East. Fitting that we start there. A lot of times we did this, Ryan, the preseason Super Bowl favorite was in this division. That's the case again, but it's not the team that's normally been. Buffalo Bills enter the year as the favorites to win it all. And I know anything can happen. The favorites don't always win, but I understand why that's the case. I think there is issue, there is maybe some concern with Brian Dable not being there to call plays. But this team's primed for something. It ended in a heartbreak last year, the final 13 seconds of regulation in that playoff game against the Chiefs. But make no bones about it, Ryan. The Bills are loaded this year. Yeah, they're 100% loaded. There's top to bottom. It might be, I think it's definitely a top three roster in the league. It might be number one. But like you said, no day ball is going to be the biggest thing to look for. I'm not in any way... Uh, doubting how hungry this team is going to be, to your point, with the way they lost. And Josh Allen has just seemed to continue to take leaps to get better and better. The defense is going to get better, too. I don't think they're going to have Trey White to start, but they'll get him back later in the year, which will only make him better. Von Miller, uh, the Super Bowl whisperer, I guess you can call him. So, no, I think I think they're primed to really make some noise. But to be honest, they're, they're the favorites. But, but how – stacked this league is I don't think anybody should really be overwhelming but I think they could win the Super Bowl just like a handful of AFC teams I think yeah I, I do think that that the league is I mean it's why the NFL is great right you have a lot of contenders you don't even have to really have a great regular season get hot play well and peak at the right time I, I think Josh Allen is a large part of what they, why they're the favorites and why he's also like an MVP trendy pick for a lot of reasons. He's continually gotten better. I think the defense has added some pieces. There's, there's minor issues to be concerned about. But uh, what I've liked the best is the evolution kind of of their attack. The running game has been running back by committee, but they have depth in the backfield. 
Mm-hmm. It's not just Diggs anymore. Davis had those four touchdowns in that game. You know, they're they're building something there. So I also think you got to look at the rest of this division. And man, I, I don't I don't really know how to make I, I guess I don't really know how to make for the first time what this division's gonna look like, other than I think we both assume the Bills are gonna win it, but Right. The Patriots seem to be trending the wrong direction. I think there's a lot of concern. They haven't had great drafts recently. It's a Mac Jones, you know, boomer bust year. And the last couple games of that season of the playoffs, he did not play well. The Dolphins are trending. We can kind of expand upon that. McDaniel there is the, uh, or McDonald, excuse me, there is the new head coach there. He's somebody that has had a, uh, you know, the trendy offseason hire. He's done great things. They added Tyreek Hill. I think there's some some limited optimism, I guess, for the Miami Dolphins. And the Jets, I think, are kind of at the bottom, but maybe getting in their foundation stage in terms of who they've drafted if those draft picks pan out. But I think, I think we both agree that the Bills are kind of a cut above. The rest of this division, Ryan, it is going to be fascinating to see how it shakes out. I think the Patriots being kind of an enigma are the reason why that's the case. I agree, and you know, I think the the Bills are a clear cut. The Patriots being an enigma, I think funny is it might be just how Bill wants it, uh, just knowing how he's gone about things. Now, obviously, from the outside looking in, there's some question marks. But to be honest, Mitch, before they drafted Mac Jones, there were question marks. I think you could point it to a reason why Tom Brady left, uh, regardless of where the the relationships were between him, Belichick. Craft other folks, the roster was just not very good. Um, the Patriots still have the highest paid tight end room in the league, and they don't get a ton of production from their tight ends, which is not. Yeah, they don't. They're receiving core too. Like they spent a lot of money, and what do they have to show for it? And and it's not Brady anymore, and it's not an elite level, the the championship level defense that can cover up for that sort of thing. So I'm I am worried about officially about the Patriots and. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm fully confident Ryan in the Dolphins, obviously not the Jets yet, but I could see a very bad year, bad year obviously, for their standards coming up for New England. Yeah, I could I could see a bad year as well. for. Um, and I think, I think they're going to be above 500. I think they're going to make every team that they play um, compete and, you know, reckon with them being on the field against them. But just from a talent standpoint, I'm not necessarily worried about who's going to call plays. They'll figure that part out. But I think the bigger team, the bigger intrigue, like you said, is Miami. Uh, I think that all hits with Tua. They they got the talent around the quarterback. They got a yeah. decent offensive line now. Now it's just it's about the hip. Is he fully healthy? Can he? And we'll see if he can push the ball down the field yeah. uh, like he did uh, in that preseason game a couple weeks ago. There's. You're right. It's all going to be on Tua and how healthy he is and can he play at this elite level. But I will say Mike McDaniel, the head coach, this is the best case scenario for the best version, I think, of Tua, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Because I think okay. how, how he, he started as a run game coordinator way back when, and I think Atlanta. So I think he's going to do the best that he can to really highlight the positives and try to minimize the negatives there. And I think Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle together could be a very dynamic duo. Um, there, there's a lot to kind of just, I guess, monitor with that Dolphins team. And I think, I mean, and I would think that you're in agreement that the Jets are going to be bringing up the rear in this division. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, I think that was regardless of Zach Wilson or not his status. And I just, they got a lot to do. They got a lot of pieces to add and they're, they're a ways away from making some noise. I'd say it's almost like not they may have had a good draft. We'll see. And if they did, then, okay, you're actually building something. So it's not like a doom and gloom 
like maybe the other team in New York, which we'll get to later. But I don't think it's all just negative. It's like this was the very bottom. They're trying to build their way up. We'll see. Um, switching now, Ryan, to the AFC North, uh, another obviously my division here. But mm-hmm. uh, you look at the team that made the Super Bowl last year, the Cincinnati Bengals, who were not expected to really be main contenders in the division. They won it. They go on that you know incredible run, beating the number one seed Titans and being the Chiefs at Arrowhead, who had represented the AFC in, in a couple Super Bowls in a row. Bengals coming back. They made some additions uh, to their line, obviously, which they needed to do. Uh, a Cincinnati team that's another trendy pick in the AFC, and a main reason why is Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And when you have that foundation at that young of an age, I mean, I understand why that is the case. Uh, are you expecting the Bengals to pick up where they left off, or could you see some you know, potholes on the way to another Super Bowl run? Yeah, I, I'm not. And as much as I, I like this team and I like Joe Burrow and I like Chase, I'm not expecting them to pick up where they left off. I think for one reason, um, if you go look at the postseason, the, and I'm not going to say the biggest reason why they had all of this success, but a, a top reason why they did is because Evan McPherson got so hot, did not miss a kick. And you know in the playoffs that's huge uh, with how these margins of games are decided. So they had exceptional special teams play, which if, you're, if your team is in a consistent special teams um, squad, you know, I don't know if that's to be expected this year. I expect greatness from Burrow. I expect Chase to get more coverage. So we're going to see, you know, how he deals with being the true number one. You might get doubled. You might get taken out of the game for a little bit. So we'll see how they deal with that. But really, I just think your division is too strong. Um, these teams are going to beat each other up. And I think all of these teams, um, even Pittsburgh, just have solid rosters. Yeah. And yeah. it, it, these teams are going to beat beat each other up. And the Bengals did make uh, huge additions to their offensive line, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be great for them. But yeah. I, I just I don't see the the re, the repeat performance. It broke right for them. I mean, it's fair to say, and a lot of times you need that to happen. Uh, and they were ahead of schedule. They weren't expected to be that good. So you know, the expectations kind of being on them a little bit more now. This division has always had a pretty. I mean since the Browns kind of got a little better, they've had a pretty big four and Pittsburgh is going to be a game team. And, you know, obviously the Browns with the Watson suspension that opened things up uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I look at this division with these teams. A lot of teams have, uh, I think all four of these teams have pretty good rosters and they all have varying degrees and, and different areas of concern, you know, holes and weaknesses in the mm-hmm. team. Uh, and I, and I, you know, cause even, even Baltimore who, if it's not Cincinnati, Baltimore oh, looks yeah. like a co-favorite in this division. Lamar Jackson's has, has the contract issue outstanding. Their defense got abused at a lot of bad times last year. So they did. if you want to know my concern with the Ravens, it's defensively, can they hold up against the elite teams? I'm not sure that well, they can, even their signature wins last year were games like against KC in the regular season where they just had to literally have Lamar Jackson career numbers. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think not even can the defenses hold up, can the defenses be healthy? I yeah. mean, for a big stretch last year, they didn't have Humphrey. They didn't have a lot of guys in their mm-hmm. secondary. And you look at the Ravens uh, corners, they got three number one corners and they I didn't know. have them. I know. I know. And, uh, and they traded away Hollywood Brown last year. So I, I, I know he wasn't didn't overachieve, but that's a loss for them. And who is going to be, you know, getting the lion shares there, Bateman, who steps up. I'm not really sure. 
Obviously, the Browns, I mean, we've talked about it before. Deshaun's out 11 games. Don't need to get into the specifics of that one. But the roster, and the, the frustrating thing is the Browns fan, Ryan, is the roster is great. I mean, it is. It's as deep of a roster, but without the quarterback, I mean, you can't reliably count on them to win games. The only option would be if they can be hovering around 500 to maybe make a run at a wild card if he comes back. But it's going to be a tough task for sure. And the thing is, and, you know, we don't have to get too deep into this, but I'll ask you if your team's hovering around 500 and how Watson looked in the preseason, um, the fact that he's been out of football for two years. If you're hovering around, that means you've got some decent quarterback play. And it's not like he would be coming back week six where you have time. Week 11. Yeah. There's so much. Right. I don't know if if it, you would even want to drop him into that situation no. uh, and expect success. I, I feel like he is going to want to play. I mean, he didn't play all last year, too, so getting those reps oh, up yeah, there is, is definitely yeah. it. Uh, and the Steelers being the last team in this division, they're not out of, you know, I mean, they made the playoffs last year, which is remarkable. And you can make a strong case. I know some people aren't going to want to hear this, but even a solid Mitch Trubisky, and maybe I'm biased because, again, you know, the, the hometown thing, but – Roethlisberger was terrible last year. So oh, he was. De- if if Trubisky is just decent, are they they're not getting any worse at that position? So that would be my spin. I don't. Well, I actually. Here's my hot. Do you think we even see Pickett? I was just. I'll let you talk, but it's just like I don't know that we need to see him this year, given what this team is well, and the long term goal. Man, that's where I was leading into. I don't think Trubisky's going to finish the the season. I so, think by the time you get to the end of the season, we will be seeing Pickett. I, um, so do you think that's because they're just going to be like, all right, it's not good? Because I don't – this is a team that I think doesn't need to rush this, you know? No, like, they don't. They don't. So. And and part of Trubisky, my, I guess my bias is he didn't have the best coaching in Chicago. I understand no. that. But I, I, got, I got to watch that up close and personal every week just living in Chicago. And uh, Nagy had a lot to do with that. But when you're hearing that Kenny – Pickett is turning a lot of heads in camp, but was getting better and better. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like with the way Mike Tomlin responds to his guys in the locker room, and he just seems to be a genuine dude. Mm-hmm. If Trubisky's not playing well, I don't think he'd be able to stand up in front of his locker room and continue to start him. Yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting, but I don't think Trubisky finishes the year. Okay, well, interesting to kind of see how this one shakes out. Uh, the the worst division in the AFC, Ryan, obviously, I think is the AFC South. Uh, yeah. What happens here? I mean, the Titans were the one seed, but flamed out of the playoffs. Another year at Tannehill, which has seemed to kind of hit his ceiling. Uh, the Colts had another quarterback. You get Matt Ryan there. You have the Texans and the Jaguars. Um, I guess I guess you got to kind of start. It, it seems on the outside, Ryan, and I'll ask you if you agree. You see this as a real two-horse race, again, with the same two teams, the Titans and the Colts. I think this is – I would say yes. I, short answer, yes. But I think it's a little bit more complex than that. And not because I believe so much in Trevor Lawrence or what they got, because I do. But they having a competent head coach for Jacksonville – with the talent that they have, I don't think they're going to be pushovers. I'm not Ooh, saying. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I, I think this is good. I like in Doug Peterson of all the people, someone that you've seen before, Doug yeah, has yeah. good qualities and he has bad qualities. And I think he does. it's, but I think fair coaches to say. with the second time around, get a chance to kind of show what they've learned. Well, one and thing, I'm, one thing Doug doesn't do is he doesn't just, you know, he's not just going to ride the the name brand. I mean, he had he showed a lot of stones in, in Ryan Foles in that Super Bowl win, which you know. So 
I, I do think he has a pulse in the locker room and the players respond to him. Mm -hmm. I would say that I think the I, I don't I'd have to kind of think more about the prediction here. I think the Titans are, you know, the the Tannehill stuff obviously for how the game ended and the fact that Henry's yards per carry have been coming down is maybe worrisome because of the miles he has on him. Exactly. I thought the injury uh I, I thought the injury in camp or uh wasn't in camp right there their pass rusher that got hurt recently. Uh oh. Harold, I don't know Harold Landry. About. Harold Landry got hurt, yeah. and that's huge. That that's as big as anything that's you know has or hasn't happened for them in the last couple months. So yeah, I do think the Titans big are an AJ Brown. I think the Titans are vulnerable. You know, losing AJ Brown. I don't want to. I don't want to just downplay receivers and, and all the movement there. But I do think teams can definitely overcome receivers. Guys can step up. They can refigure their offense. But you was one of those beast pass rushers, man. It's like losing a shutdown corner for the Ravens. So I think that the Titans are vulnerable. I think they still deserve to be in the driver's seat. But Colts got Colts got. I was going to call him Darius Leonard. He's now Shaquille Leonard with the name change. But they've got a great defense and they've got guys there. Can Matt Ryan still play at a fairly competent high level? I mean, I have more optimism than the last two guys they've trotted out in Indy. So that's what I was getting ready to say. <laughs> like he, he he's going to play better than Carson Wentz, and he'll I think he'll and play Rivers. better. Yeah. And Philip Rivers as well. Um, having John into the Taylor back there doesn't hurt. Uh, having uh, DeForest Buckner on the other side doesn't hurt either. I think um, this will probably be the best quarterback Frank Reich has had since he got there. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're they're going to make some noise, but something just tells me that I don't know if they have everything they need to get over the hump. I think it maybe depends on Matt Ryan, but you would think the team – would have played a little better last year holistically, even though Carson didn't give you everything you wanted. Yeah. I don't want to do a complete flyby of the Texans. I know it's not, you know, they're, they're working their way up too. I'll just highlight two positives. Mills might be a solid NFL quarterback. He didn't look bad last year as a third round player as a true rookie thrust into there. And that mm -hmm. rookie running back Pierce actually looks pretty good from what I've seen. So he could yeah, be a I legit agree. guy. That's really all I got. I wish the best to Lovey Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. All right, Ryan, AFC West. I mean, do we even have to debate if this is the best division in football? Because I think it's head oh, and shoulders above any. I, I think it's I think it's head and shoulders above any. So I think the North is close, but this is. Bad. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think we're both. We'll, we'll wait till the prediction at the end. But three playoffs team, three playoff teams from here is a realistic expectation. I don't think four is really possible. I mean, oh. I would. It would have to be a perfect scenario, but it's very possible we see three, two at the very, very minimum, and you have the added dynamics. It's kind of a fun thing, right, where the floor raised. I mean, even last year, the worst team in the division were the Broncos. They were 7-10, and 10, mm -hmm. and they went out and got Russell Wilson, and they got a new head coach. The Raiders yeah. and Chargers played for a final playoff spot on the last game of the year. The Chiefs, who had been dominating the AFC and still were at the top of the pecking order, get rid of Tyreek Hill, kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit. It's a fun division. I'll ask you this first and foremost. Is there, do you have a team that you put in the four spot or are we just going to wait and see kind of how this shakes out? Or do you see like a, a solid fourth team right now? I think it's going to be a solid four team. Like I, I think these teams are going to beat each other up. I, I think they're all really good, but you're not going to believe this. If I had to pick a fourth team, I would say Denver. Mm. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't think that's unbelievable. I think that, you know, I don't know if that's where I would lean right now. I do think that we got to see what Russ brings, what level yeah. he's at. 
Definitely. You know, it's been a couple down years. Obviously, the Seattle situation wasn't great, but he had receivers. The line was obviously another thing. So um, I, I like Hackett. I think that he, I think this is a great situation for us to kind of see where we're at here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, man, and I do like Javante Williams, by the way, great young running back too. I think him, him being there uh, along with Melvin is going to be good. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs are, are dead and buried, obviously. I, I don't. Here's what I'll say about Kansas City going into it. You know, they don't pay Tyreek Hill the deal, which I understand because you've got a lot of money tied up and, and Hill still has great football ahead of him, but it is a receiver over 30. I think there's two scenarios here. I think there's one where they take a step back to take two steps forward. You always are playing the long game with Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes as your quarterback. But the other thing is they might actually be just as good as they were last year. You know, if they get that better line, if they don't necessarily have the Tyreek Hill offensive scheme of where we're just going to go over the top. I mean, you we were talking about it last year. Defense is kind of adjusted. They took away the big shot. And mm-hmm. It was different. So there is there is a scenario where I think the Chiefs are a better team despite not being as talented, if that makes sense. So my only pushback there would be, like, I, I agree that they were, they started putting their safeties way, way back to deal with Tyreek Hill, but it was the fact that Tyreek Hill was on the field that made him do that. Mm-hmm. Now when you play Kansas City, there's nothing that the defensive coordinator isn't saying in the week that we cannot line up in this because Tyreek Hill's on the field. I think um, – I just thought I, they got a little predictable this. last year. Like that was my – and I get it. Like it kept yeah. the defense honest, but there were times, especially in some big games, where they got a little predictable. So, you know. Oh, for sure. And, and I and I agree with that. I, I just think like now um, Kelsey's going to see the double teams. Mm-hmm. So we got to see what Schuster can do. Uh, they got bigger receivers, which is it's it's going to be a different playbook for sure. I think they're just going to play different football, and it'll really be I think one does Patrick Mahomes take that next step and not having to look for that deep ball to just be able to just dink you dink and dunk you down the field a la Tom Brady? Can he do some of that? Uh, be patient enough, and then the big thing, and you know, I know this all too well just from my Andy Reid Philadelphia experience. Uh, will Andy Reid run the football? And I think we know the answer to that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that that's huge because yeah. when you don't have someone to take the top off the defense or someone who just dictates what the defense is playing coverage-wise because you got Tyreek Hill on the field, uh, you're going to have to build and hold on the leads different ways. Mm-hmm. And they better be running the football late because yeah. we the, the, this division, this conference is too stacked. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have a difference maker anymore to just go get you a quick seven points. Can you believe Juju Smith-Schuster is only 25 years old? That's nuts. He's been around forever. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. crazy. Uh, no, he could have a bounce back here. And I agree with what you said. It's going to be just very intriguing to see how this shakes out, how the new offense looks. Uh, and then, I mean, Vegas and Chargers, you can kind of lump together. Both, I think, dangerous teams this year. Both yeah. have their have their issues for sure. Josh mm-hmm. McDaniels and and Derek Carr, I think, could be a match made in heaven now with Devontae Adams there. You loved what Max Crosby was doing on the defensive line last year towards the end, and and I think that they're kind of trending upward. And for the Chargers, I mean, if they get healthy, obviously Herbert is is a legit guy, but they had some injuries last year. Derwin James plays the whole year. People kind of have forgotten how good he is. Mac and Bosa together. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pumped about what that defensive looks, and they're going to be the, the defense in this division nobody wants to face if they're all on the field. Absolutely. And if they can stay healthy, I mean, you've got somebody at every level. You've got two rushers. 
you got J.C. Jackson, you got Derwin James. Uh, they're going to be dangerous, and I know we're not getting in the, to picks yet, but I think Justin Herbert's got a real chance to win the MVP mm. this year. Uh, I, I like that team, and you know, hopefully they can get over that Charger curse because just when mm. you expect something from them, the the spirit of the Chargers just yeah. appear. I, I was so impressed last year on that last game, even though they lost with Herbert's performance because he was getting the crap kicked out of him. He, <laughs> he just, but you know, kept him in it. Uh, Ryan Soul's here on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's look at the NFC, the East. Ryan, I mean, the Eagles are kind of a trendy team out there. Now, where are you at with kind of the hype, the the thought process, the good and the bad? Your thoughts on the Eagles now with AJ Brown and you know the the Jordan Davis now the draft pick from George on the D line. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not crazy, you know, about the hype or whatever, but I do think this is a really good team, just top to bottom, uh, and I think. Uh, as much as people want to make it out to be, I don't think this team will uh, cap out as far as Jalen Hurts takes you. I don't think the team is being built that way. Now, obviously, if he takes a leap for it, that makes the team even more dangerous. But the team is going to be built to have a top three rushing offense in the league. They're trying to get back to playing really good defense with their front seven. And now they've even I can't complain about the secondary anymore. Uh, but you have a rotation of VG, Brandon Graham, um, Sweat, Fletcher Cox, and the rookie. We're going to have healthy defensive line. We're going to be able to get after, get after the quarterback without blitzing. And I think if we can play with a lot of leads, we got a chance uh, to make some noise. I think a lot of it is going to come down to the quarterback position. We say that for a lot of teams. But, all right, it's like Jalen Hurts. And you could say Siriano too, as head coach, like, yeah, I think the oh, roster, and John Gannon too. I think the roster construction has been great. Like I think I, you know, I don't have many complaints with what the Eagles have built, and and they've also done themselves in this way where, you know, if Hurts doesn't work out, which I hope he does for your sake, obviously, but if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of it, the run. Like they've got options and moves to make, so Absolutely. I think they're in a good place. I do think the hype is a little much. I think that maybe is more reflective, of Ryan, of the fact that the NFC is pretty wide open and we're kind of hurting for contenders. Yeah, and the, uh, Chris Sims just loves a, a <laughs> crazy take about a team, so that has a lot to do with it too. Yeah, it's it's so true. Um, the Cowboys are the other team in this division because really, like, it, it, I mean, are we saying that I mean the Giants? I just don't have any optimism for with <laughs> with with where they're at right now, and I guess I'd kind of throw the Commanders in there too. So this is old faithful, right, Ryan? Eagles, Cowboys for this division. Yeah, it's Eagles, Cowboys. I mean, Washington got Wentz under center. I ain't worried about them. Uh, and the, like you said, the Giants, they got a first-year head coach. They got a lot of questions they got to answer. Uh, it is, excuse me, it is a two-horse race. I do think Dallas, uh, and this is just me being biased because I usually think they're going to overperform just based on the roster. But the talent, they, they've taken a little bit of a step back offensively. Uh, I know we can get upset when, when Amari Cooper's consistency. You'll be able to tell me firsthand this year. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we're going to have to see CeeDee Lamb step up. When Gallup gets back healthy, we have to see that. They've lost some offensive linemen. Uh, and we got to see what type of uh, leap Michael Parsons takes. How are they going to use him? Is he is he just going to be an off-the-ball linebacker? Yeah. Are they going to keep putting him in coverage like they did yeah. last year? But the roster isn't. It's no, good. I don't. I don't have any doubts about uh, Mika Parsons at all, uh, and I think CD Lamb will step up. 
I, uh, I think that their issue is going to be the line not being as dominant of an advantage as it once was. Not a bad line now, but they've definitely taken some steps back. So that was, that was such a huge thing. How Pollard and or Zeke fit in with the running game is big. Uh, but yeah, the Cowboys had kind of been like the premier team in this division for the last couple of years just because the rest of the division fell off. And with the Eagles right. rising up, that's not the case anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and in that same kind of metaphor, we can turn our attentions to the NFC North with the Packers who lost Devontae Adams, struggling at the receiver position, still have Aaron Rodgers, still have two running backs that are good. The defense has gotten better. Again, apologies to the Lions and Bears, which we'll touch on in a bit, but it just seems like the Vikings would be the team to contend. New head coach, great receiver in Justin Jefferson. They do have Kirk Cousins at QB. So how do you break down this race? The Packers still in the driver's seat. Do you think there's a, a viable chance the Vikings come and take this division? So I I think the Packers are in the driver's seat, but I don't think buying uh, a lot. I think that gap has shrunk significantly uh, just because Devontae Adams losing that is huge, and we know how Aaron Rodgers is about uh trust in his receivers he's not going to throw you the ball if he doesn't trust you we'll have to see how the packer defense looks honestly um they've been uh slated to be very good i've always been a big fan of rashawn gary and jaira alexander so i expect them uh to ball out but i think they're going to win the division because they have the best quarterback in the division and you know how i feel about Kirk cousins Good, but never great. And I think they will probably cap out as good. It's it's hard to be bad Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a competent quarterback with Justin Jefferson over there. But Mm -hmm. I don't think Kirk Cousins is good enough to make them a great team because they got talent. Right. And and I know that Zimmer wasn't great and a new head coach there is big. Here's something that I will say about the Packers. Adams loss is going to be huge for sure. Um, defensively, I am actually buying into what this team has. They drafted up. You mentioned the players you like. I mean, they added two teammates last year from the title team in Georgia and Walker and, and uh, Watson, both they on did. the defensive side of the ball, both tremendous college players. This might be like a non, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, era Packer type team. But if you can run the ball, which I think they can, their line's pretty good as well with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I mean, maybe that's the new the new game plan. Maybe that's kind of the new approach to this. And, you know, yeah. I, I just, Tanya, the tight end, who I think tore his ACL early, he's back. That's a target that Rodgers has built a rapport in. I also don't want to be let. I mean, we can talk about the postseason failures, and they're deservedly so, but well, man, since LaFour yeah. got there, Ryan, they've won like 11 to 12 games every single year, like clockwork. So, at least in the form of the yeah. regular season predictions for the division. Yeah, would I pick Kirk Cousins over that? And <laughs> I think you no. know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, <clears throat> to your point, I don't think the question about the Packers is the regular season as long as they got 12. When they get in the postseason, <clears throat> they turn into a completely different team. And especially if they have to play at home, they turn into a different team because yeah. it's cold. And that team. Maybe this is playoff. Maybe this is the long run move of like, hey, we're going to go. With a different yeah. style, I mean, might Maybe as well. So. <laughs> it's failed in the past. Uh, any optimism about either the Lions or the Bears? I, I think the latter is going to be a no, but maybe the Lions. Yeah, so to be honest, I would flip that. Uh, I've oh. heard really good things about how Justin Fields looks, okay. your boy out of right. Ohio State. I just want to see him take a leap. Uh, I don't care how good the team is, but I just want to see him be protected. I want to see him take a leap. And for what I'm hearing, he might be able to do that. I haven't... Um, Followed a ton of 
the Lions' talent in terms of when is Kenny uh, Galladay going to show up for the Giants like he did for the Lions. And when I'm talking about a dude who's on another team, like I ain't got much to talk about. Like Jeff Okuda right. uh, will be, I think, better having been away from Matt Patricia. Well, but, yeah, the injury with him is brutal too. But but I do think, though, that the Lions, I don't. I feel like they might actually be building something. St. Brown is a oh, good receiver. Yeah. And Goff is not as bad as like we gassed him up when he shouldn't have. He's not completely terrible. He's another guy that doesn't have to be the guy. They're kind of setting the foundation for maybe having a chance. I I, I think they're going to be frisky would be the way I would put it. I yeah, and I think you might be right. Now, I mean, and that coach is a culture setter. He's a hard-nosed guy, and yeah. I think his team embodies his personality for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think this could be fascinating near the, the bottom of the division. It might actually be, as we say, better than we thought. Um, NFC South, man, I... <laughs> I'm not really excited about this division. Is that weird to say? I just I feel like there's a lot of negativity in the air there. I mean, the Bucks, the Brady situation, the saga's ongoing. The Falcons are kind of in that rebuild mode, but I don't know what their what their you know commitment is to the rebuild. The Panthers, I, I don't know if rules long for this NFL coaching world. Saints might be the frisky team, uh, Ryan, except for the fact that you know we don't know what the new coaching staff and what Jameis is going to be like as a full 17 game starter, but. I guess you got to start with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Good defense, Brady back at age 45, but you know, new head coach, and also the fact that Brady kind of took that sabbatical. I don't know if that fully sits well with me for how this yeah. team is projected to do. So I think let's start with the sabbatical. I think it's weird because it's Tom. There's of how much he loves football, right? Like, yeah, yeah. because. We, we see all veterans kind of go through this. And I, and I, I would like to think, and I'm not trying to get in anybody's personal business, but mm-hmm. I would imagine when you retire and then you come back, I would imagine some family promises were probably made that had to be kept. And that's probably why he wasn't around, I, w- I would imagine. Mm-hmm. But for the football side, it's the offensive line. And I'm not worried about the edge uh, – blockers the tackles because Brady gets rid of the ball so quick is that inside you get in Tom Brady's lap you can make his day hell and all his guys like to get open down the field Evans likes to get open down the field he's not gonna have Gronk we got to see how Godwin looks uh, coming off that nine months ACL recovery so that's gonna be really interesting and for the last couple years the Saints have had their number in the division so I think with the roster not being nearly as strong, I'm not worried about coaching because Bowles is going to run the defense. He's going to let Brady and Leftwich run the offense. I don't think it's going to be any issues there. I think, you know, from game management and stuff like that, Bowles will be able to put a stamp on the game. But I don't think Bowles being the head coach is really going to affect the offense that much. And we yeah. heard B.A. talk about it. He empowers his coordinators. True. And uh, when Leftwich said – that he actually gave him the position to call plays. Like he's kind of been in it with Brady. So I, I think that's going to be fine. I, yeah. I think it's purely a talent thing. If Brady can get protected, I see no reason why this team wouldn't be right. around at the end. But if he's getting beat I up. I mean, yeah, that's a knock. Ali Marpet retired, like injuries in the line. Like uh, Jensen gone. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. And it could be the fatigue thing, not Brady, but you know, the team that had been kind of near the top, it's tough to stay at the top in the NFL. Uh, Are you buying the saints as a legit contender though? Can they, can they really make that push at the division? 
I think the Saints could really win this division. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, I, I love this roster. I love what they got going. You got Michael Thomas coming back, uh, hopefully 100% healthy with Olave and, and Landry. And Jarvis, and yeah. I mean, yeah. if you hit on two of those three this year, like if two of the three can be impact players. Exactly. Still good. That would be huge. And remind me, the year that Jameis Winston had the 30-30 uh, touchdown interception year, that team was still in contention for a playoff yeah, spot, they were right? there. That's the thing for me because the defense is good. They've been 4-0 in the regular season against the Bucks. Can Jameis yeah. stop playing hero ball? So if Jameis throws 20 picks, uh, I think this team could be really dangerous. And Dennis <laughs> Allen, it's yeah. not like he's coming yeah. – from outside, he was already there. Yeah. I'm excited to see. That's a two-horse race, right? Like, cause we Anything on the Panthers or Falcons? <laughs> no, nah, man. I just hope Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy for a full season. Yeah, defense is okay in Carolina, but, I mean, Baker-Darnold combo is probably not the long-term move there. That was a desperation signing. And, I mean, the Falcons with Mariota out there. I, I do think some of the young skill guys, like Drake London, the yeah, young kid. Drake London, yeah. yeah. It, it could be, yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is just so far at the bottom of the barrel for Atlanta this year. Um, yeah. NFC West, Ryan West, the vision to talk about here. Uh, the Super Bowl champion Rams there. As as, And I don't think this is a bad division, but it's definitely weaker than it's been in recent memory. Would you agree with that? Sure. <clears throat> oh, I would definitely agree. And, I mean, I think the big piece of that is probably Russell Wilson leaving the division. Yeah, because the Seahawks are clearly the worst team in this division. The worst and that's, team. So yeah, many years then, when there wasn't a clear fourth worst team. Exactly. And then I think everything kind of, we knew so early that New Hopkins was going to be out that I think that really painted our perceptions of maybe how far the Cardinals like, could go. To. Like I look at the Rams clearly as the favorite front runner, not just winning the Super Bowl. I, I know there's always the threat of a hangover. I think this team's built for it. I mentioned LaFleur with Green Bay. McVay gets results in the regular season. That's pretty much what he does. Mm-hmm. And I think this team's built to at least have a good regular season. Then we'll see. I mean, playoffs are obviously a different beast. The other two teams, you know, Seahawks notwithstanding, uh, Cardinals and Niners, each have different – they've got a lot of potential, but they each have kind of like different, I guess, like flaws that I would look at. But the mm-hmm. Niners, it just comes down to Trey Lance, right? Like if they made this decision, he's the guy. Because their roster is probably a top five talent roster in the NFL, I would think. Yeah, their roster's loaded on both sides of the ball – they're loaded from a coaching staff too. They just they got good mm-hmm. coaches. It, it really is all on Lance, and we just got to see. And the yeah. thing is, what's really going to be interesting. I haven't looked at their their schedule, but if San Francisco starts off to a rocky start, mm-hmm. it's like okay, do we get him experience? Because the more experience he gets, if he turns it around, we got a roster good enough to win. Because you have a guy on your bench that has gone far in the playoffs. Who you paid? <laughs> And who took a pay cut? Well, that that deal actually made perfect sense to me because for them. Well, yeah, he, he get him his yeah get him his eight eight million. He'll be his highest paid backup in the league, and then he can just leave next year. You know, they right. had to come with an exit strategy, uh, and it, it you know, and from where it came, like the surgery was definitely a tactic on his part, waiting as long as possible to get it. So, oh, for um, sure. But keeping the door open for there's that get out of there's that break glass in case of emergency you know if they need him and if they feel like it cuz their variance is pretty high for me you could say yeah. make a run at the NFC like they did last year you could also say you know 6 and 11 depending if Lance flames out but yeah, yeah. they're going to they're going to start you know they're going to start their season uh with the Chicago Bears which is a nice start to the year <laughs> and then the Seahawks so that's pretty good you know mm-hmm. starting out so we'll see what happens there and the Cardinals i mean 
Kyler Murray had the weirdest offseason of any any player maybe in the NFL, and I don't think it was anybody else's fault other than his and the Cardinals front office for kind of how they collaborated on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury yet. I need Kyler to show me more in terms of being consistent through and through and not making some of those Jameis-type plays. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, defensively, too, they've, they've shown flashes, but I, I think this is a, a streaky team, and it's hard to fully trust a streaky team as talented as they are, as you mentioned, with Hopkins out. Right, and I think the Chandler Jones loss is going to be noted. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. I think we should get to the picks. Ryan Soles here on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's do it. Let's try seven playoff teams. They didn't add any more. I had to double check. They didn't add any more in recent memory, but seven yeah. playoff teams in each conference. Start with the AFC. Who are your seven? Okay, so my seven in the AFC. Uh, we'll start with the North. I like Baltimore to win that division. Okay. Um, the East, I like Buffalo. Uh, the South, I like the Colts. The West, I like. Mm, man, this is tough. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go chalk and stay with the Chiefs. Okay. And then my three wild cards, I like the Raiders, the Chargers, and I like the Bengals. Okay. I don't think we're going to vary as much as I thought on this one. Bills in the East. I will say Bengals get the division again. Okay. I'll agree with you on the Colts. I'll go Chargers to win the division. Okay. I was almost there. And my wild card teams are going to go Chiefs, Raiders. So I guess my Broncos are the worst team there. Chiefs, Raiders both get in. And then that second wild card team would be, I'll say Ra- I'll say Ravens and, and agree with that. But I could see a such scenario where this is the Lamar Jackson not having his best year, unhappy about the contract thing sleeping in. But I'll say Ravens get in there. So it's pretty similar, but. Some variants. Okay. All right, the NFC. All right, so uh, starting with the North again, I like the Packers. I like Philly in the East. I like Tampa Bay South, and I like the Rams out West winning that again. And then my wild cards here, I like the Saints. I like the Niners. And I'm between Dallas and Minnesota. Mm. <laughs> Uh, good place to be in between. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Dallas. Okay, against your will. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say I'll go Cowboys take the division. Okay. I'll go Packers. I'll, I'll yeah. I'll go Packers. I'll go Bucks and and Rams. And my wild card teams will be Eagles get in. Eagles get in. Vikings get in. Niners get in. Okay. So Saints don't, neither do the Cardinals. And yeah, that'll be the team. Um, before we get to the, the Super Bowl picks, do you have a defensive player and then we can just do MVP? Okay. So I think my defensive player of the year, I'm going to go. I mean, Aaron Donald's the chalk pick, mm-hmm. but I like either TJ Watt or Derwin James. Mm-hmm. And then MVP. Screw it. I'm going Herbert, man. Wow. Not bad. I'll go. 
I wanted to parlay. So, yeah, I'll go for defensive player of the year. It'd be funny if I could just parlay the Bosa brothers. And just say one <laughs> I, of them will I win it. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, one of them will win it. I'm sure I could find a way to do that. Yeah. I would say I would say Nick has a better chance because that defense isn't as loaded. And I, if we're being I mean, honest, I guess with skill. I think Nick's, Nick's a better player, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, and Joey's had some injury issues, but that defense is going to be, be hurting the opponent. So I'd say Nick with – Parsons would have been my second choice there. Okay. I think he could have a defensive player already. Um, I feel like Derwin James is healthy. Yeah. He He's just going to put up numbers. That's so I true. Uh, Josh Allen, MVP, would be my thought there. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right, Super Bowl pick. Let's go. We're on record. There's been some bad ones in recent memory, so we got to come strong. There's been some bad ones. Okay. I like – man, this is tough. Mm-hmm. This is really tough. I'm gonna go Buffalo and Tampa Bay, mm. and I think Brady gets number eight. Wow! And then has to retire right at that point. Like, come on! <laughs> uh, who knows? They, yeah. <laughs> who knows? But no, I, uh, I think okay. Number eight. My teams are Buffalo, Green Bay. Okay. I got Green Bay winning it. I know it's kind of an, an, a little different, but we both have Buffalo going, the favorite going, and then losing in there. I think the NFC is is weak for legit Super Bowl teams, and I'm not counting out Green Bay, and I think they might be changing to a more boring football approach, a la what Denver did at the end of the Peyton Manning run. Man, I really, I I hope you're right because I might even, I'm not trying to rag on Aaron no, Rodgers, but regardless know. of the game plan, yeah. Hey. Two of those games could have been one. Yeah, he could have made. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if the Niners don't make it, and you know that could, that's like one landmine out of the way. <laughs> oh, know? seriously? So, yeah. So that's yeah. that's like the key thing. I guess I should void this pick if the Niners get into the playoffs somehow. Uh, Ryan, we did it. We did it. And you know, under under about forty five minutes or so, we got through the season. It's going to be exciting to see uh, first game coming up as this is released with the Rams and the Bills starting us off strong. So. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll be chatting during football season, but always a blast talking ball with you. Oh, for sure, man. Appreciate you having me. All right, always a blast talking football with Ryan Souls. Week one of the NFL starting up this week. Cannot cannot wait for it. It's going to be fun. I'm really, really excited to see how this all shakes out. Now we switch to the college game. Kent Brown back again, back on the money, Mitch Effect. He did a little college football road trip, a little backyard brawl, West Virginia pit, along with Ohio State and Notre Dame. We break down the Bucks win over the Fighting Irish and what the, what this means. George's dominant performance against Oregon, Bama looking strong. We look at the week two lines and talk a little pro wrestling. It's Kent Brown with college football and more now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, we're back here on the Money Mitch Effect uh, College Football Week 1 recap and looking forward to a uh, fun 2022 season on deck with uh, somebody that's uh, been on the lamb for a while. Um, He is a really good close friend of Dr. Rod Farthing. It's Kent Brown here. Kent, thanks for joining the show. Uh, How's it been going, man? Well, after last week going to the Pitt, West Virginia, Notre Dame, Ohio State game, I may or may not be missing a few digits on the hands or toes but look that's just the way life operates and hopefully uh i have another call with you down the line and if i don't it's been a good ride but we'll have to see how things go sometimes you win a bet sometimes you lose a bet 
sometimes you lose a digit on your finger or toe. It all it's it's all relative though, right? Yeah, it's definitely all relative. Uh, we can kind of get to that first, I guess, the gambling side of it in terms of just the good and the bad. And I'll tell you a bad for me, and that is Utah. My God, that was a brutal one. Um, you know the the line in that game being two and a half, and uh, you know down three in the red zone, throwing an interception in the end zone. I miss college football as much as anyone, but uh, yeah, it takes something like that to really get you back into uh, the gambling swing of things. Well, I think one of the weirdest bets I've ever made and ever won was live betting the Iowa and <laughs> yeah, South yeah. Dakota State over under under 11 and a half and actually having that hit week one. I mean, you talk about a weird bet to make where you're you're watching the game. It's close. It's a team in Iowa that last year went to the Big Ten championship game, returned their starting quarterback. And yet I never felt like Iowa was going to score a touchdown the last 10 minutes of that game so to live bet a game under 11 and a half and then see a safety and still feel good about things that i I don't think (laughs) i'll ever have that opportunity again so i won some bets i lost some bets this weekend i was on the unfortunate side of utah as well i was on the good side of a few bets like notre dame uh covering and 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 a few other ones but overall just live betting an under 11 and a half and having it hit I can't imagine there's ever a situation in any of our lives that we do that again. 7-3 final with two safeties in there. Just just remarkable stuff. Uh, and, and we'll point to another, probably the worst bet of the week, happen, worst way to lose a bet that I've seen in a while happen on Sunday night. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Kent, you mentioned that you were able to go to two of the premier games, arguably the premier game, the two top five matchups in Columbus. Uh, what was it like to kind of be at first Pitt, West Virginia, but then, of course, being in the horseshoe for Ohio State and Notre Dame. Unfortunately, your boys didn't win, but your thoughts on kind of how that game, what you saw from both squads as they get forward and get going into this 2022 season. Yeah, I'll start off on Notre Dame-Ohio State first because that was the signature matchup, top five, and still two top ten teams where Notre Dame didn't fall too far in the rankings. I believe they're down to eight in the AP poll. Uh, I thought that it was interesting because Notre Dame came out, hit that home run play on the first play got in the field goal range and got some quick points and that was good I think if Notre Dame would have went three and out and Stroud went right down and scored the environment would have been very different for the next two hours instead I kind of thought the shoe was a little bit dead for for the most part until they took the lead in the third quarter even when they went up seven three it followed with like three or four pretty quick possessions in the second quarter where they didn't score anything So I looked at it and thought, Notre Dame's hanging around. The defense played very well. I think if you would have told any of the staff members on Notre Dame that they held Ohio State to 21 total points, Mm -hmm. especially seven total points with a minute left in the third quarter, they would have signed up for that in a heartbeat and would have said, we probably will find a way to win. Instead, it was the Jim Knowles defense that was the difference. Ohio State's defense was tremendous. They did allow a few chunk plays. But in that second half, Notre Dame punted the ball every possession. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame did not score a point in the second half. And it was the Ohio State defense that was really the difference maker. And you saw the D-line. They, they continued to make plays in the fourth quarter. They beat the Notre Dame offensive line. I would say I went back and rewatched the broadcast a couple days later. And part of me thinks if you just switch the two quarterbacks in that game, 
Notre Dame might have been able to squeak it out mm. because yeah, I, game I, one. Yeah, Buckner. He, I mean, obviously, tough, tough situation to go into your first start like that, and, right? And play there, obviously. I don't know that the play calling necessarily helped him. I mean, I shouldn't say it hurt him, but C.J. Stroud picked up his pace in the second half for sure. And, again, Notre Dame played well. They played good on defense. They did They did well. You do have to consider, though, Jackson Smith and Jigba being hurt was a tough one for Ohio State, and they had to have guys that didn't really have a lot of playing time last year weren't on the fly, which I thought they did too. But that injury on the get-go really did take a key part of Ohio State's offense out. Yeah, him being out definitely changed some things. Also, for Notre Dame's sake, Jarrett Patterson, their All-American center, who they moved to left guard in the offseason, he got hurt, mm-hmm. you know, potentially a broken foot about a week and a half ago. They tried to see if he can go out there and play during warm-ups. He couldn't. That's a big loss because he's their yeah. most veteran offensive lineman has started for four seasons. Uh, I do think that he's probably every bit as important to Notre Dame's offense as Smith and Jigba is to Ohio State's offense. But overall, the play Stroud made in the fourth quarter on that third and short where he rolled to his left yeah. and then found Mayan Williams on the sideline, you know, that will forever go down as the Mayan Williams drive. He was amazing in, on that drive, you know, capped it off with the short touchdown run. But him making that catch, because if they don't make that catch, they are punting with about nine minutes left, only up four, and you never know what could happen. Right. But overall, Ohio State is the better team. The only way Notre Dame had a chance to win was if they won the line of scrimmage, and they didn't win the line of scrimmage. That was Ohio State's favor. And I think if you're an Ohio State fan, which you are, as much as you want the offense to score 50 points a game, it's kind of nice to see them win that type of football game. 100%. I I completely agree. I'm glad you brought that up. They needed a a win like this where they can kind of win ugly, where it's not just a complete track meet where – I mean, the Michigan game kind of, they, they were in a dogfight and they hadn't been in one all season. So I'm glad you brought that up because I completely agree. Yeah, and overall, I thought Buckner played fine for what he was asked to do. Uh, Notre Dame didn't leave the game, in my opinion, thinking, I don't think much worse about the team than I did going in. You know, I clearly wanted more than 10 points, but I'm also very impressed that the defense had only allowed 21. I'm disappointed, to be honest, that Notre Dame really didn't generate a lot of pressure or sacks. They had a sack on the first drop back of the game. And after that, they didn't have any more sacks. I thought they would be able to get three or four sacks throughout the game. And it was Ohio State late in the game that were getting those sacks that kind of mm-hmm. sealed the win. But, yeah, I don't leave the game discouraged. It was a fun environment. Uh, again, I think that the crowd was relatively dead for at least half that game. Yeah. And I look at Notre Dame, and if you look at the past and you watch them in these big games, they get down early whether it was at Clemson or at Georgia or a big game against Alabama, they're down like 14 nothing and all those. I thought the coaches did a really good job, especially in the first half, of keeping Notre Dame in the game and giving them a chance to have it be a four-quarter football game. And, you know, most of the time, if you only score 10 points against this offense, you're probably going to lose by 35. So the fact that Notre Dame hung around and actually had a chance late in the game to potentially get off the field and down one score. It would have been something that if they could have found a way to win in Columbus. But overall, I don't leave the game thinking they're any worse than what I thought going in. As for the backyard brawl on Thursday, it was a lot of fun. It was a cool environment because as a kid, that, that, game, was always the game, meant, yeah. Yeah, that game always meant something to both fan bases. You know, Whether West Virginia or Pitt were good or bad, that game meant something. And you kind of had that feeling going in. And also for Pitt, Pitt's the type of program right now at this moment 
that they they won the ACC last year. They're trying to build something. And if you lose the backyard brawl, knowing Tennessee's week two, all of a sudden all that you built kind of gets knocked down a peg or two. Now you look at it, you win your rivalry game to open the season. It, you have a sold-out crowd, the largest crowd in Pittsburgh sports history, hmm. over 70,000. And then on top of it, you have a big top 25 game in week two at home as well. So we'll see what Pitt does. But if Pitt can get by Tennessee on Saturday, mm-hmm. all of a sudden now they're a legit yeah. you know, top 10, top 12 type of team that was a conference champion last oh, year yeah. in the ACC. So, so it was a great environment. It was a lot of fun to tailgate. You know, being from Pittsburgh, we bounced around five or six different tailgates between friends and family and everyone else that was around. But overall, I thought that the pit environment was probably a bit more uh, substantial through 60 minutes because the game was just a higher scoring, more fun game. And also, as you know, as an Ohio State fan, Ohio State's not used to losing at the half or being down late in the third quarter. So a lot of their fan base was, here we go again, another three and out, another yeah, punt. Yeah, yeah. How's this happening? How can this happen? Where Pitt fans, <laughs> relatively speaking, are a bit more like, I hope we win, but I'm glad we're like putting up points. Right. So it was just a different mindset. The Ohio State-Notre Dame game, in many ways, almost felt like if I go to a Steelers playoff game and the Steelers are losing. I got you, for yeah. the most part, yeah. where like the fans expect to win, but they're like puckering the whole time <laughs> thinking, is this really going to be how we lose? Where, like, the yeah. pit game was almost like you just watch, like, two average teams that fan bases don't expect to really be in the title hunt. So, but both were a lot of fun. And then week one as a whole was a lot of fun. It was. You bring up, you bring up the game involving Iowa. How about the two games in the state of North Carolina? That Jesus. Came like, I, yeah, well, North Carolina Appalachian State was something. Um, the onside kick where the entire – Appalachian State team got destroyed, but then North Carolina runs it in and gives them a chance. I mean, two two-point conversions missed, 63-61. North Carolina doesn't have a defense, so great win, but I don't know what's happening there. Uh, the NC State-Eastern Carolina game was was something, too. There, there were, it was a really fun weekend. I mean, if you just take out, I guess, Georgia and Bama just being completely dominant in their games. I mean, Bama could have won that game over Utah State, who won their conference last year, 100 to nothing. They called the dogs off. And Ken, you mentioned like the difference in talent disparity. The gap between Georgia and, and maybe everybody else outside of Bama still seems to be there. Yeah, it does. I mean, they lost 15 draft picks and I believe what five first-round picks on their defense, and yet they they seem to be every bit as good as they were. Stetson Bennett had a great game. It's also funny you mentioned the East Carolina game because NC State's one of those teams that came in this year with a lot of hype, as did Utah, and. I understand Utah lately has still been more of a winning program, but NC State's one of those programs I'm still extremely skeptical about because I never see them win multiple big games in any no. season. And it's kind of a little bit hard hard for me to believe that they're going to be an 11-win or 10-win sort of team. But they escaped. I mean, at the end of the day, I know ECU missed an extra point and missed a field goal late, but they're 1-0, and that's you'll take that win in Greenville and move on. So at the end of the day for the ACC, you look at it, Florida State survived LSU. It wasn't pretty. Pitt survived West Virginia. It wasn't pretty. Obviously, we just said NC State survived. <laughs> North Carolina survived. Clemson These finally showed some life on offense. <laughs> well, I think that's mainly, though, kind of showed some life some on life, offense. Yeah. But I think Kate Klubnick 
come midseason or maybe even by the end of the month will be the guy. It looked very similar to last year's offense. And, uh, you know, I had Clemson and the points. I, you know, I gave the 23 and a half. So the fact that Clemson was able to get that 40 from 10, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it it felt a little bit lucky. But overall, sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And then kind of the the under-the-radar game that, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see a single play of on Saturday, but I was updating it and getting text messages, was that game in San Antonio between the Houston Cougars. Oh, man, that might have been the the best game of the week, honestly. Like, that was up there with in terms of drama and everything. I have a lot of investment in that game because I not only bet it, I not only had it on like two or three different parlays and teasers, but I also have Houston. I have UTSA season total going under and I have Houston season win total going over. So that was one that like I had so much on the line early in that game. And I don't even know how many vodka Red Bulls Dana Holgerson drank on Saturday night. He might have even crossed the border and just went to Mexico for the evening and said, team, I'll see you at home. But, man, what a win for Houston. And UTSA, they are a scrappy team. They'll be going to the American, I believe, as of next year. And now that Houston and UCF and Cincinnati are going to be gone, that American conference is going to be pretty wide open. And UTSA, all of a sudden, seems to have a pretty good infrastructure and uh, a good system going where maybe they can be one of those teams in a year or two that, especially if this 12-team playoff happens, UTSA might be able to sneak in once or twice in the next decade or two, and uh, that would be huge for their program because I remember when Larry Coker showed up there when they started being a, you know, FBS program, and they looked about as lifeless as any program. And uh, very shortly, they they've turned things around quite a bit. And as we know in the state of Texas, Mitch, seemingly there's like 30 quarterbacks a year that are good there, and oh, for right. some reason Texas never seems to land the good one. <laughs> So UTSA a lot of times gets that leftover. But, yeah, that seemed to be the game of the week. I might have to find, like, an online feed that's, like, the 20-minute condensed video of that because I still have yet to see the game outside of, like, a two-minute highlight. More with Kent Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, that you mentioned that 12-team playoff. Uh, I think we saw round one, Georgia, (laughs) Oregon. We're going to get to these lines for, um, for week two here and talk about some of the bets we like and don't like. But... Just wanted to also kind of touch on the state of Florida before we move on. What percent, or I guess, what chance would you give because Florida gets the win at home over the top ten ranked Utah team? We mentioned the ending in that one, but do you think there's any chance that this could be that Cinderella team with with AR with Richardson at the quarterback because he looks electric? This looks like a first round NFL talent. Do you think this could be that improbable Florida Billy Napier season one success? Well, I wouldn't say like national championship good because I still think they're a far cry. But like if they finish second in the, if if they're, yeah, if they lose the Georgia, but basically go like 10 and two, is that in the realm of possibility to you? Oh yeah, of course. Because you look at the rest of their crossover games and everything else. LSU is their annual crossover. LSU looks very much in peril (laughs) through one week. We know they have Kentucky on Saturday. They have Tennessee in a couple weeks. But those are not necessarily two programs that have more talent than them. Uh, I know Dan Mullen was kind of ripped as not being a great recruiter. But they still brought in top 15 classes. They just weren't in the top five. And then you look at the rest of their schedule, especially in the SEC East. Missouri, I think, is a borderline bowl team. Vanderbilt, I know they're 2-0, and but that's still <laughs> a bottom feeder in your own division. If they can, yes, if they can go in and upset let's say A&M on the road mm. or maybe they beat Kentucky this weekend or went at Tennessee. They don't have Alabama. 
They played Georgia neutral site, but let's just say that's a loss. Yeah, I can see Florida being a team that we end the season where Florida is nine or ten wins and being in that mix. On the other hand, maybe this was their peak and they're finished seven and five. I don't know. But, yeah, I I do think the Gators through one week certainly seem to be that unranked team that is more than likely to finish kind of in the top ten compared to, like, where they were a week ago. And, yeah, and, and Richardson's great. I mean, you watch him play. The guy is tough to bring down. He's super fast. He's a confident player. And he's a risk taker in a good way, though. You know, in the NFL, you don't want the risk taking quarterbacks as much. But in college, you need that guy that mm-hmm. the coaches go, no, 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 no. Okay, thank God. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're, you're 100% and right. And that's who that. he is. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe because of that, they trip up and lose to South Carolina in November. Mm-hmm. That's very much on the table. But on the other hand, would it surprise you if, yeah, they're nine and two and they're playing Florida State in the, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend and have a chance to punch their ticket to a ten and two and more than likely a, a New Year's six game as the second place team in the SECs? Mm-hmm. That really wouldn't surprise no. me. Yeah, the two out of three of the Tennessee this week, Kentucky and A and M, and I and I like their chances. You know, I think that's what it's going to come down to. Obviously, Georgia being the one, uh, and yeah, Florida State LSU. I want to mention that that was everything I wanted in Brian Kelly's first game in in LSU. Uh, the final sequence, Florida State was ninety nine point nine percent to win that game before they fumbled on the goal line. LSU going 99 yards, scoring the final play, the chaos, the refs losing the moment, and then the game ending on a blocked extra point, which screwed the overbetters completely. Uh, just a just a stellar start to Brian Kelly's LSU tenure. And again, I say this, Kent, I don't think either team is going to be particularly good this year. Yeah, I thought I think Jordan Travis was pretty impressive. He looks like he's taking the next step, and I think part of that was the last couple years he had that like guy on his back that was breathing down his neck if anything went wrong a couple years ago James Blackman and then last year Mackenzie Milton this year it's firmly his team and I, th- I, I think that helps an upperclassman t- to know that LSU I thought Daniels was okay uh, he ran the ball well and with their offensive line kind of not being that great compared to where LSU's line typically is Jaden Daniels does seem like the right guy just because he can at least run away from some of that pressure but on the other hand, Keishon Booty, they didn't utilize him at all, and he's arguably one of the top three or four receivers in the country. So strange. I thought that <laughs> Florida State, though, to blow that game the way it was. You know, it's weird because I, I hate Florida State. You know, I, Penn State, the one team in college football I'll never root for. Florida State's the second team on my list that's like that. But in this game, it was funny because I thought if Florida State blows this, this would be hilarious especially I was watching with my twin brother, who's a big Florida State fan. And then on top of it, LSU losing the game was funny just because of all the Brian Kelly stuff and everything that happened in the offseason. I'm not nearly, if you're going to rate me as a Notre Dame fan on my Kelly hatred, like it's like a three out of ten. I thought what he did at Notre Dame was very impressive. Yes, he might be an asshole, probably (laughs) is. And odds are that you know him leaving the team last December – you know, championship weekend, knowing they were like one win away from sneaking in is pretty bad. But as a whole, I'm not anti Kelly, but I do think it's funny what has transpired the last eight, eight to 10 months. And the way LSU lost was just embarrassing because I thought they should have went for two to me, Florida state were on their heels. You just scored the touchdown. Florida state had to be in the back of their minds thinking we're, um, 
we're going to lose this game. And then as soon as LSU and you had a, and up, you had a blocked extra point already or a block kick already in the game, game right? The other thing, yeah. And I think you, I think you can sell it to your fan base. We played to win. We scored late. Exactly. We knew their yeah. defense mm-hmm. were on their heels, and we went for the kill shot. The extra point there, and I understand it's kind of a quote unquote home game in New Orleans, but yeah, that game was crazy. And also for Florida State, Mike Norvell, yes, he got the signature win that he needed. And that's a game that Florida State would have lost the last five or six years. But the way they nearly blew that game, <laughs> it's not a good thing for Norvell. No, that's almost like no. the worst case win he could have had. Because right. had they lost it, all the questions would have been coming back. I don't know why you're running a pitch play there when all you need is a field goal to ice the game. Uh, to me, it's like yeah. quarterback sneak two or three times. Yeah. And if they stop you, they stop you and you kick. If they don't stop you and you score, game over. But the but a pitch play inside the five in that situation just doesn't make any sense, no matter who you have. Even if you have Reggie Bush at running back at USC in his prime, there's just no upside in doing that there, knowing the fact that anything on the line of scrimmage is not going to hurt you. So very lucky for Florida State to get that win. And then Brian Kelly, I guess, called out some reporters for showing up late to a media or a press conference, and one of the reporters fired back about, well, yeah. if he would have won, I'd be here on time. It's been an odd week for him. I do think long-term he'll do well there. But, again, well at LSU is winning the title and beating Alabama. It's right. not going 9-3. and three. No, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, it, it, this was never going to be the first. I, I never thought this was the first year of like they're going to be exactly what the fan base wants and what Brian. Yeah, Kelly both of wants. their win totals were like six or six exactly. and a half. So this isn't like devastating in the sense that this was supposed to be the year for them. But when it, when you have a winnable game at this level and you're as good a coach as much as we don't like him, he is a hell of a coach. It pains to lose these games. Also, just want to point out, probably would you agree the worst targeting I've ever seen in terms of like the dirtiest hit, I should say. The LSU targeting in that game was probably the dirtiest hit I've, I've seen at the college level. Definitely recently, I'd have to go back, but it was a full-blown helmet launch into the quarterback's head. So, oh, it was a, yeah, it was it was definitely one of those I was watching. So uh, Sunday night, to put it in perspective, yeah. uh, we had uh, a little wrestling pay-per-view on one TV. <laughs> oh, we'll the, get to uh, that. And, and, and we had the Louisiana kickoff on another TV, and it was me. My twin brother and our buddy Robbie, who, you know, he, he grew up a big wrestling fan and he had no dog in the fight of the football game. And when we saw that replay, we all were like, yeah, that's definitely like that's the letter of the law that they're shooting for there. For yeah, sure. You don't want to you don't want to uh, attack anyone's uh, helmet or head. But, uh, yeah, it was bad. And LSU looked undisciplined, which uh, which is what their M.O. has been since their national championship. If you watch right. them in 2020, the COVID year, they were very undisciplined. Last year, they were about as undisciplined a team as you can be. And this year, through one week, they were undisciplined. And you're, 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 you're really seeing, too, at LSU, the culture does need to change a lot. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if, like, this year, whether they go 4-8 and eight or 8-4, eight and four, I don't think the culture is going to change overnight. I really feel like next year, if the same stuff's happening, that would be an indictment on the staff. But through one week... I am willing to say if you are an LSU fan, I would kind of just look at this season as let's see some improvement and hope that next year you see a lot of improvement because it's pretty evident that they're a far cry away from being able to contend with any of the big guys in the SEC. And they still have talent. 
but it doesn't look like that talent's mm-hmm. like focused and ready to go on a weekly basis. And look, they have Mississippi State in two weeks. They have Southern this Saturday. They'll obviously win that. That's a Mississippi State team with a quarterback who's starting his third straight year in Will Rogers. And Mike Leach, in his history, when he has quarterbacks that start three-plus years, he's done very well with those teams. Right. You know, In the history of his whole time doing that, the only quarterbacks he's had that way, all of those teams were like 10-plus win teams, whether it was Texas Tech or at Washington State. So if LSU goes one and two and realistically 0 oh and two because the Southern game really doesn't count, that's that's not going to sit well with a lot of their fans. Oh, heck no. uh, yeah. Especially knowing the fact that A&M and Florida and Auburn and Alabama are all upcoming on that schedule. Well, I want to run through some of these bets before we kind of switch topics here. Just some, some ones that stand out to me and I want to sign. Uh, Arkansas, we didn't mention, they beat Cincinnati in another ranked matchup at home. It's a pretty close game. Uh, laying eight and a half points uh, in this one. I think that's a fascinating number. Arkansas back as a favorite. Kent Pitt, you know, Pittman's done a great job in getting this program turned around. And, you know, suddenly they're in that unassumed role as the favorite. So that was one that stood out to me. Yeah, I think I, I like Arkansas's team this year. I feel like they they have good play up front. I think that KJ Jefferson is an upper tier SEC quarterback. They brought in, and I think one of the kind of underrated players that they brought in that's kind of a huge asset to their team is Hazelwood, the wide receiver, who was, you know, Oklahoma's best receiver the, yeah, last year, right. and he transferred in. Uh, Trey Knox, they moved to tight end. He's a real, like, mismatch. You know, he's a glorified receiver playing tight end, but he's also a mismatch in that if you line him up on the outside and he's matched up with a linebacker, he's much faster. And if he's with a safety, he can also use his speed. So I, I, I just I think Arkansas ultimately probably does cover this weekend. And South Carolina, I'm interested in seeing the whole experiment of getting Spencer Rattler, having him there, and seeing what he does on the big stage. Because last week, obviously, you can't really factor in Georgia State much and say that it means a whole lot. But this is a huge test for Rattler. And look, he's still trying to be an NFL quarterback. And there were a lot of NFL people high on him heading into last year. So if he beats Arkansas and he puts up four or five touchdowns, all of a sudden he becomes Mm -hmm. kind of one of the names in college football that's relevant again. But I, I think overall the Razorbacks have the better team. And I would probably, I haven't put any bets in this week, but that's one that I would feel like more than likely Arkansas finds a way to separate late third, early fourth, and win by two scores. We got the Tide laying 20 on the road in Austin against the Longhorns. Um, I think I know you well enough to know there's maybe a way you're going to approach this bet, but I don't know if you're going to have action on this bet, but if you were on the Alabama side, obviously, how would you be approaching this? Yeah, I think that there's two ways, because I did I did an Alabama team total last week, and that hit, and I liked Alabama to just get their total, because sometimes with backups, who the hell knows what happens if the other team scores late. In this game, you know, I'm leaning towards Alabama first half, as we've done for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Texas has all the pressure on them, as weird as it sounds. Bama being the number one team in the country, losing the title game last year, you would think the pressure would be on them. But I think Bama knows how to show up in these games. They know how to manage these games. There's not going to be any stage fright whatsoever coming from Bryce Young or Will Anderson or any of these you know, veteran linemen, Dallas Carter on the other side coming off the opposite edge of Will Anderson. 
And then for Texas, I think there's going to be a lot of nervousness. Uh, I think it's a huge game that, uh, that they're probably not too ready for. Uh, by all accounts, you kind of read between the lines of, you know, Texas insiders and what they're saying about this team. It doesn't sound like a lot of people in Austin are overly confident that they can compete for four quarters. So realistically, uh, if you tease Bama, I feel really good about it. First half, pretty likely they're up by – if the first half line's like 12 or so, I would take that. And then just Bama to cover. I, I do feel like they probably do cover this game. And then a team total, yeah. depending on – the best you feel about those four bets, you rotate in and you probably bet too. But I like the Tide to confidently yeah. win this game. And again, just I'm not anti-Sark, but I also know Sark has a lot to prove. Quinn Ewers has a lot to prove. Uh, as good as as good as Bijan Robinson is, is the Texas offensive line really going to be opening up a lot of holes and giving him space to run? Probably not. This might be a game too if you really trust certain players you probably go in and bet numbers maybe you take an under on robinson rushing knowing texas will be down and they'll have to throw a lot more maybe you don't buy into quinn ewers and you take over on interceptions bryce young total yardage in this game i could see him going for close to 350 or 400 yards total yeah you know especially if he plays all four quarters so there's a lot that you can do in this game unfortunately it is one of those big noon kickoffs, and a lot of these props don't come out till morning of. So if you want to, you better get up early and mm-hmm. get those bets in. But I like Bama in this game. I feel like a year or two from now, maybe Sark has everything lined up, whether it's Ewers or Arch Manning. But for now, they just don't seem to have the roster. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Xavier Worthy gets behind the secondary once or twice and makes a big play. But as a whole, this Texas defense still has a ton to prove and their offensive line is subpar relatively speaking compared to like when Bama loses a game they lose the teams that can at least match them up front to a point that's not what this Texas team is it's gonna be it's gonna be rough I think teaser is a good one too because I mean yeah Bama is not gonna lose is not gonna win this game by less than 15 points that's where I'm at. I think the team total is a great idea, too, because you never want to worry about the, the spread late uh, in terms of the backups coming in. But, yeah, Bama, in these moments, you said don't get stage fright. Um, any thoughts on the Cyhawk game? I know you were an Ames loyalist until that political scandal forced you out of the state, but thoughts on Iowa versus Iowa State? Well, that was all fake news, first of all. So uh, when you look at it that way, I, I can't comment on it legally, mm-hmm. but yeah. I can just say that a lot of those – News reports were obviously not valid. Uh, look, I mean, it's one of those that if you really believe that Iowa's offense is as bad as it looked last week, the over-under is pretty <laughs> intriguing because it's not its not like it's 26 or 30. It's an NFL over-under pretty much. Most NFL over-unders are in that like mid-40s range. This is at 41. I saw it as on one betting entity. You can still get it at 42. Uh I would probably lean towards the under. Iowa State has a new starting quarterback this year. Uh, Brock Purdy was the lifer for four years. There's no Brees Hall on their offense. There's no Charlie Kohler on their offense. And we know the Iowa Hawkeyes are probably not looking to put up 30 in this game. They're probably looking to get to like 20 and hope that's good enough. So, uh, yeah, I would say just take the under and hope you kind of see that Iowa defense which is a dominant defense. I mean, they're, they're a terrific defense. We know special teams are going to be a big part of this game. And also, 
Iowa State, I love Matt Campbell, but he always finds a way to lose this game. Seems and like so it. if you think he's not going to win this game, you almost are just better off taking the under because in that case, he's probably not scoring 27 points. So I would say ride that under and just hope that it's kind of a Iowa, Iowa State low scoring, you know, 17, 13, maybe 20 to 17 affair. And you can get out with the, the victory. And uh, I'm looking forward to this game. It's, it's kind of in a good time slot where it's like late afternoon, Eastern time going into some of the night games, you know, after the Texas Alabama game uh, before or right around, you know, like before the Florida and Kentucky game. So I'm excited for the Cyhawk. I think it should be fun, but yeah, my, my only incentive for this would be either take the points or take the under. And I would probably go take the under. Can't wait for that. Uh, last one I do want to mention, I guess I'll group them together. Uh, the two SEC teams, uh, one All-SEC game, and then your your native land, Pitt, taking on Tennessee. Does Tennessee get that get their, I guess, signature win to kind of vault them into SEC player? Does Pitt hold on there? And then who do you like in that Florida-Kentucky game? Yeah, so, so to start off with Tennessee-Pitt, uh, the Johnny Majors classic, of, uh, I think it's funny because – I said this to my brother yesterday. I go, it's either going to go one of two ways. Either Pitt wins outright or Tennessee covers. Like, I don't see there being, like, a close, nail-biting Tennessee win. I think that this might be the game Hendon Hooker, who had he started the game last year, pretty evident Tennessee would have won because early in that game, Joe Milton was overthrowing wide-open receivers. Pitt ended up winning the game. It was a close, high-scoring game. But this year, I kind of think Tennessee wins the game and covers. That would be my that would be my hunch. But if they don't win, then I think Pitt wins outright. Like I don't see a Tennessee four point win. So I like Tennessee. My ultimate pick is the Vols do cover and they win the game. And a lot of it is the Pitt defense has last week was not very good, and they committed a lot of stupid penalties. The pass rush wasn't as good as you would have thought. This is not a West Virginia team that had an overwhelmingly dominant offensive line and yet they were still able to make a bunch of plays and limit pit sacks so i'll go with i'll go with hendon hooker here i think he's the real deal i like this tennessee offense the defense is still very much a question and maybe i'll regret that as i watch this and i'll think that you know pit maybe pit scores 42 and they win a shootout but overall i'll go with the vols here to cover and win the game going to be a good one man i can't wait for both these games these sec teams are going to be setting their schedule up it should be exciting uh kent brown fun talking college football with you last and also one more i I like the late game i want to throw it out there the ranked game that's happening in provo oh yeah yeah that's right and baylor so these are going to be two big 12 teams as of next year kind of based on the way they're like if you start looking at that conference and you start seeing like who's going to be the rivalry weekend sort of spots it wouldn't shock me if Baylor kind of gets put with BYU in some facet but I like this BYU team I think that they're for real they have a lot of veterans a lot of uh guys that you know have been through the works the last couple years won double digit games I I like Dave Aranda a lot I think he's a very good coach but going into Provo late night on Saturday I, I think that's going to be an issue, and I expect BYU to win that game. But that's a great late-night game. You talk about you know, two programs that don't get a lot of national recognition, 
but always seem to kind of be in the mix at the end of the year are these two programs. And again, it starts what's going to be a, uh, a big, a big 12 probably rivalry. You know, they're both Christian universities. I think that they'll kind of be rivals when they get to the conference. And then another game I'm excited about too, Oregon state with Jonathan Smith as the coach have really turned things around quite a bit the last couple of years. And they spanked Boise state last week. And now you have Jake Hayner at Fresno State, who's one of the best group of five quarterbacks there is. That game at Fresno on Saturday night, that's going to be an awesome night slate. And then very late, you even have Mississippi State at Arizona, who spanked San Diego State last week. So it's a pretty good late night slate in terms of games. The East Coast, you're probably not staying up much. I'll be back on the West Coast come Saturday evening. So those games will all be pretty good. Uh, late night, you know, eight o'clock, seven o'clock, and nine o'clock sort of games for us out on the West Coast. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching all those, but BYU Baylor in particular, I think the winner of that game is mm-hmm. a legitimate, like, top 10 team, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Love it. Can't wait to see, man. This is going to be a fun week. We're starting to kind of get right back into the grind of college football. Uh, Kent Brown, this is great. Um, yeah, I just, I want to know which one of your friends do you think isn't fit to be a manager of a target or an EVP of a target, let's say. Oh my God. I mean, I mean we're talking we're... AEW wrestling now, which is interesting. <laughs> I haven't watched too much of it, but I've checked in. It's been good. And, uh, you know, they went out and got the biggest free agent name that there is. And he's seemingly CM Punk destroying the company from the inside. So, Hey, what can you do? Yeah. It's one of those for you. Any of you listening that have watched wrestling at any point, or, you know, you certainly at least know that, there's like that kayfabe side, which is the scripted side. And then there's the shoot side, which is, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of realness thrown in. It went off the rails on Sunday night, <laughs> big time, where there was a guy, CM Punk, who won the title. And not only was he at a press conference after, he's with the owner, who also happens to be the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars or part of that family and Fulham soccer out in, uh, you know, over in England. And he ripped into the company, ripped into a lot of the guys who are like the executive vice presidents and seemingly just kind of ruined uh, any sort of any sort of goodwill he won by by winning the title like an hour beforehand. And I know that people say wrestling's fake and it's all fake. Yes, a lot of it is. But when you watch this press conference, it doesn't come across as very fake. I think some of it. It's him sort of spicing things up to get attention. But for the most part, and then especially afterwards, there was a supposedly a legitimate fight that ended with like people getting punched and people getting kicked and spit on and bitten and uh, who the hell knows. But yeah, overall, uh, the press conference of CM Punk with Tony Khan sitting next to him <laughs> that was and insane. Not, not ending it. Like if this were to happen with any like Vince McMahon, he just ends the press conference and tells the guy to <laughs> F off. And Tony Khan just sits there and lets this guy go on a rant for about 30 minutes uh, uninterrupted for all intents and purposes. And this is your champion. Like This would be like Goodell presenting the Lombardi Trophy to Tom Brady and Tom Brady using that to pretty much turn into Dave Portnoy or something and just rip the league for the next 30 minutes as Goodell stood there and kind of smiles along. Like It was a bizarre incident. But, hey, on the other hand, you have – you know, in pro, in pro wrestling, it's maybe this will work out long term for them, but it wasn't good. It was it was uh, entertaining, but 
not something I think you want as the owner of a company to just let your champion just rip into the company for two minutes. Yeah, I, I think that was the biggest thing that you have an owner who affectionately or not affectionately has been called the money mark by a lot of people letting this happen. Vince McMahon had some flaws. Obviously, there are a lot of them are public, but he does not let this happen in his ship for sure. And we don't know what was alleged happened in that fight. I think it was kind of out of pocket in terms of CM Punk going for this at the press conference. Even if it is, you know, even if there is some sort of working level to it, it takes away the entire show, MJF's return, all this stuff. I don't see the benefit in it. And they're going to have a tough decision to make, you know, what direction the company goes in because there are two distinct, I guess, I don't want to say fan bases, but schools of thought, right? You have the CM Punk fans because he's obviously a known brand and, and brings a lot of eyeballs and credibility and draws money for them. But, you know, you have the company, the founders essentially of the company, the pillars of the company, the Bucks and Omega and, and Page, and, you know, a lot of people you know, are thankful and, and really only watch AEW for those type of performers. So it's fascinating too. I will say he wasn't acting like a baby face in all this, even though he called himself the top baby face in the company. I mean, that's pretty much a heel in real life. Well, that's the issue as I was just going to bring that up and go, for those of you that aren't following closely, he's the good guy in the company <laughs> that's, that's, in terms of yeah. storyline. And yet this is what's happening. And on the other hand, because of the changes at WWE and Triple H taking over, and you're kind of seeing like this same weekend they sold out a sixty plus thousand dollar or sorry a, a, a sixty plus thousand seat stadium over in the UK. Like things for WWE are seemingly kind of turning around for the positive, and then you have stuff like this happening on the other company. It's just not a good situation overall, and it's something where, as you said, like AEW is on. Like we're recording this Wednesday, I believe the podcast will come out tomorrow. Like you're gonna have the pay per view in which you had probably one of your biggest buys ever and yet tonight on tv almost definitely your champion and all those executive vice presidents who also just won the co-main event <laughs> as the trio champions between the, so literally your two biggest matches on sunday night and your biggest pay-per-view of the yeah. year yeah. those four champions and those two matches i don't think any of them are, are allowed on tv tonight legally because of what transpired after so I think we're, we're probably going to get a lot of Jericho and probably <laughs> Danielson and maybe some of the acclaim tonight and what have you. But you would think Ooh, like – Can't wait for that acclaim rap, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You never know where it goes. But yeah. overall, the fact that none of them are almost definitely going to be on your biggest show yeah. after your biggest pay-per-view of the year, that's not a good sign, and it's not no. because of storyline. I mean, I, I kind of like uh, Jason Kirk, who does the shutdown full cast and uh, has worked previously – for like SB Nation and other entities, he just tweeted out and said, "Just give MJ, just give MJF a live mic tonight for two hours, and see what happens." And I go, I sign up for that. Like, like to me, that would be your best case show because then Jericho probably comes out, Brian Danielson comes out, and you could almost create a show that would make it worth it. But yeah. anytime you have all your champions not really being allowed to be on TV after winning their biggest matches, that's not something we've seen before. It's crazy, you know, just. Punk just seems so bitter. Like he just always seems in a bad mood, you know. And yeah, he's one of those guys in retrospect. Know. Maybe, maybe he should start drinking. <laughs> yeah, you can never trust those guys, right? That don't you know, have as Norm McDonald once said, it's, yeah. it's the only disease that you end up laughing all night and potentially end up getting because of your disease. So maybe CM Punk's has been doing it wrong this whole time. Oh. Maybe his dad was a bad drunk, but maybe he would be a better drunk than he is being sober. 
Yeah, you put it in a way I could never. So uh, thank you for that. Ken Brown, this was fun. Um, ha- hang out and, uh, you know, have fun watching college football this weekend. Um, you know, if you want to hang out with Rhea Ripley and get into whatever, that's fine too. I don't judge. We don't judge here. So it's the no judgment zone. No, no judgment zone on the Money Mitch effect. I've, yeah. I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah. You she welcome can make all. You a man. She can make you a man. That's what I've heard. So, hey, I guess we'll find out. I mean, look. Look, I'm going to be watching some weird games Saturday night for sure. Yeah. So uh, the option is open. Anytime, you know, your three screens combined are, you know, Oregon State's on one, BYU's on another, and I'm not even touching the Mormon side of this or all of that. And then you have the third game involving, like, Fresno State but not. There's going to be a lot of craziness happening in some of those games. Yeah. You know. And then in Arizona, how about Arizona? A yeah. shout-out to the Arizona Wildcats, a team that they're over-under, I believe, was only two and a half. And Big they win. beat Beat the crap out of San Diego State. Big win. Yeah, it's like, and then the only low light was your punter punting into <laughs> so your dumb. up man's butt oh, man. and allowing oh, man. a touchdown. So when you can win a game doing that, maybe the fortune's on your side all year. Oh, man, so good, so good to watch college football again. We've missed it for so long. Uh, Kent Brown, man, thanks for coming on the show. I'll be chatting with you soon. Of course. I'll see you soon, buddy. Huge thanks to Kent Brown and Ryan Souls for appearing on this week's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. The entire catalog of episodes can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just go to Money Mitch Effect and it pops right up. We'll be back next week to talk more football. It's that time of year. Settle in football night and day. I can't wait to see how these matchups shake out in the NFL as well as the college game. A lot to discuss, a lot to monitor. For both our guests, my name is Mitch Michaels. You were listening to The Money Mitch Effect. We'll see you next week.